1: The story. When he was in Calcutta, he went to the public library and picked up a book called My Forty-One Years in India by General Lord Roberts. There's one chapter in that book that tells about my people. They are the wildest and the most savage headhunting tribes you can ever find in the world. And so that attracted Watkin Roberts' attention. And so he prayed that night and felt that he had to come to be a missionary to these headhunters.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, the late Rachanga Padaiti was from north eastern India, and his father was one of the first of his Ma people group to become a Christian. It was his dream that his son would one day translate the Bible into their tribal language. This is nothing short of remarkable because just over 100 years ago, this people group was commonly known for being savage headhunters. So, what caused such an amazing transformation? We'll find out today as we hear a conversation that Eric Skadabo recorded with the late Rachanga Padaiti. Rachanga is the founder of the Bibles for the World International Ministry, and some of the music you'll hear on today's program is from a musical that was made about his life.
1: Well, I belong to a small group of uh, tribes there called Mar, a part of the Mizo group. And the Mar's has just about 200,000 people, and uh, they are a little bit different from the rest of India because they have a a look of a Chinese or a Filipino Mm -hmm. or Indonesian or some some people from the Far East. Because long, long ago, maybe about uh, uh, over a millennium ago, they migrated from central China into India. But uh, as they migrated to the West, they fought against a lot of different uh, group of people and they were very ferocious. They worship demons,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so the demon uh, really uh, work so hard on them. And there's a lot of life uh, was a loss, and they have tremendous fear of evil spirit. And so they live in fear, uh, not only the enemy, but also the. Uh, they live in fear of the evil spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how they are in their life, and uh, so in order to appease the evil spirit they'll sacrifice a cow or a pig or a goat any kind of sickness is uh, considered to be the displeasure of the the evil spirit and so they try to appease the evil spirit by killing a cow or a pig or a goat and sacrificing them
2: okay and also your people are from the far northeastern corner of India way deep in the jungle tell us uh, what was on the
1: Burma border
2: mm-hmm Tell us, what was it like growing up in the jungle with Bengal tigers, pythons, and (laughs) wild elephants?
1: Well, when I was a little boy, uh, 10 years old, I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. And uh, even before I became a Christian, there's quite a bit of uh, this wildlife, both uh, human wildlife as well as the wildlife of the forest. Mm -hmm. We have lots of tigers and, uh, and rhinos, bears and elephants, and lots of wildlife are there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so soon after I became a Christian, my father asked me to go to school so that someday I may translate the Bible into the language of my people. And uh, I asked my father how far the school was. He said 96 miles away. And I had to walk all the way through jungle forest infested by tigers and elephants and rhinos and bears.
2: Wow.
1: And I didn't want to go to school. And so I made one excuse after another. And then one Sunday evening, my father was uh, one of the earliest converts, and uh, he was preaching in our local church. The text he used was from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, 1, 3, verse 1. Having love is all which are in the world. He loved them unto the horizon. That was his own rendering. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying unto the end, unto the horizon. So at the end of the service, my father and I were the last one to leave the church, and we closed the, the windows and shut the door and walked to our house. The moon was uh, on the western horizon, and our house was just about a block and a half or two blocks away. And I looked up to my father and I said, Daddy, a good preacher. Without even blinking an eye, he said, I know. And I said, hmm. Daddy, did you know that there was something wrong in your sermon? And he came down like a roaring lion. And he said, what? Something wrong in my sermon? <laughs> I said, very gingerly, I said, fearfully, I said, Daddy, yes. You told the people God's love was until the horizon. Your voice was booming and loud and clear. But he never told the people how far the horizon was. Hmm. And I said, if that is as far as the love of God is under the high horizon, how far is horizon anyway? He said, I don't know. I said, Daddy, if you preach from the pulpit and tell the people what you don't know, I'm not going to school. Hmm. And uh, and so I said, tell me how far is horizon? Is it as far away from our here to our house? And he didn't even respond. And so we walked into our house, and he went to the bedroom and I did not see him again for the next two days. It was on the third morning, he said, Ro, let's go up to the mountain. I said, "Uh, why? He said, we'll just climb with me. Uh, I'll take your bow and arrow, and maybe there'll be some pheasants and squirrels on the way. So I took uh, my bow and arrow, and uh, we climbed the mountain. When we came to the top of the mountain, there's a big tree, an oak tree. And he said, let's climb on the tree. And as we climb on the tree, he said, can you see way down the valley of Assam, about 100 miles away? I said, Daddy, I have seen that many times. And then he said, can you see the smoke rising out in the valley there? I said, yes. Then he looked at me and said, now, can you see beyond the valley a long stretch or range of mountain? I said, Daddy, I have seen that many, many times. And he said, can you see on the top of the mountain where the heaven touched the earth? I said, yes. He said, we call that horizon. Hmm. And if you go there and look from there, and you'll see another one like that. And if you go to the second place and look from there, you'll see another one like that. And if you go to the third place and look from there, you'll see another one like that. That endless process circle right around the world. He said, that's what I call God's love is unto the horizon. Hmm. It has no end. It circled the world. And then he looked at me straight in the eye and said, now as you go to school, <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you're on the top of the mountain or down in the valley, God's love will always circle right round about you. Hmm. No tiger will do any harm to you. No bears will do any harm to you. No elephants will attack you. None of the wild beast will ever touch you without the permission of the Father. And so we climbed down and I was ready to go to school. Quite an experience to begin my first day out of the village on my way to school.
2: Lord, please save me from the big black bear. I don't want to in my To true, true, Lord, please help me get to school. Lord, I know you love me, I know I'm there, I care, and I know you save me from that fear. Amen. Now, you began by telling us about your tribe that they were basically animus yes, but yet your father was a Christian. How did that yes. come about?
1: well in 1904 there was a great revival in the land of wells in, in the united kingdom mm-hmm. and a young man by the name of evan roberts was used by god and there was another roberts who was a young man he was very deeply touched by the great wells revival and uh, and so when the revival was uh, waning he felt the call of god to become a missionary And so he left his slate mining and came to India as an independent missionary. Mm -hmm. When he was uh, in Calcutta, he didn't even know where to begin. And he went to the public library and picked up a book called My 41 Years in India by General Lord Roberts. And so he picked up and read there. There was one chapter in that book that tells about my people and General Frederick Roberts' invasion of our mountains. And he he made a statement in that book that they're the wildest and the most savage headhunting tribes you can ever find in the world. Hmm. Something like that. And so that attracted Watkin Roberts' uh, attention. And so he prayed that night and felt that he had to come all the way up there uh, to be a missionary to these headhunters. And we, when he arrived, the last British outpost, a town called Ijo, no one seemed to be able to tell him where to go. That one day, he was praying that God will show to him the way to go to these smart people. And then, amazingly, a lady in, uh, in Hampstead, England, sent him a letter, and in the letter she included five pounds. Uh, please use this money to save at least one Indian soul. And Robert thought it was too much of a responsibility, and so put the money back into the envelope and laid it there. And a few days later on, while he was having his devotion, reading the talent stories in the Gospel of Matthew, God spoke to him that if he did not use that money and leave it there in the envelope, then he would be like the one who was given one talent and hid it in the, just waiting for the master's anchor. Mm-hmm. And so he went and bought the Gospel of John with the five pounds, all that he could purchase. And through the British mail carriers, he sent this uh, Gospel of John to every tribal chief, mountain village chief throughout the Northeast India. He didn't care whether they could read or not; he just sent them. Mm -hmm. And six months later on, one copy of this Gospel of John returned back to him with an inscription, sir, come yourself and tell us about the meaning of this book Mm. and the message. And he felt that it was a call of God to go to that village called Senvon, that was where I, I was born. And he went to the British ruler and said, I have an invitation to go to Senvon by the chief. And the British ruler, Colonel uh, Locke, said to him, Robert, there's an invitation for your head to be chopped off. They'll make a nice celebration out of you, hmm. and I'll never let you go. Hmm. And, uh, and then... The next day, as he came down to the market, he saw four or five young men who looked a little different from the others. And he asked them where they came from. And lo and behold, they said, we came from Senvon, hmm. the village uh, chief who sent that letter to him. And he said, Kenya, uh, what are you doing here? They said, well, we understand that there's a school and we want to see whether we can go to school and learn how to read and write. Robert said, "If you can take me to Senvon and bring me home alive here, I will pay for your one-year room and board and tuition in 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 the school." Wow! So he walked six days on foot, six or seven days on foot, mm-hmm. to come to my village with these tribal boys. And when he arrived there, he shared with them the story of uh, of Jesus. The first day. Now, hundreds of, hundreds of people came. The village is about 3,000 population. And uh, he thought he had a tremendous impact. But soon, the crowd was less and less. On the fourth evening, there was hardly anybody who wanted to talk to him. Hmm. And so, the next morning, on the fifth day, he went out to the village to pray while it was still dark. And when he came back, his interpreter said to him, Mr. Robert, you look a little. Discouraged, what happened? Robert said, "Yes, I'm a little discouraged. I came all the way here to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ, but nobody wants to listen to him anymore. My message is not uh, getting through to them." And the interpreter said, "I think you should tell stories to illustrate the message. Story that is relevant to them." And he said, "I don't have any story about these people." He said to him, "Well, let me tell you one illustration you can use." for John three sixteen, so he told them a story of the tribal war when two types are at war against each other and for it could go on for months years and then one group decided that the time for peace has come so they cannot sign a, letter, a write a letter or dial a telephone and tell them let's talk over for peace instead what they do is that they'll carry their war drum a huge one to the highest Uh, hills or mountain from the enemy's camp, at the rising of the sun, they'll beat the drum three times, very deliberate sound. Mm -hmm. And then if the people on the other side would respond by beating their drum three times by sundown, that means they're saying, come down, we are ready to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And the people who beat the drum first will bring with them an animal. It can be a cow or a pig or a goat and so when they come to the boundary they mark the line the boundary line and then they let the animal die on the boundary line and let the blood flow through the boundary line and uh, while the blood is still flowing the chief on both sides of the tribe would place their hands on the animal and the spokesman on the right hand side of it, to the chief will speak the terms of the peace as soon as they come to understanding the two chiefs will lean over the slain animal and embrace each other mm. and then the elder spokesman then said peace has come peace has come peace has come three times and then all the elder witnesses would stand and said the same thing peace has come and then the animal would be dressed and make it as a peace dinner and peace has come between the two warring tribes so that evening what King Robert came back to the people and said and told the story. And he said, We have been at war with God. Mm. But God sent his son to die on the cross on Calvary, the boundary between man and God. Mm. The blood of the Son of God had flowed through the boundary line, and God has spoken peace. Now the question is, are you willing to accept God's offer for peace? Mm. And that evening, five young men receive Christ as their Saviour. They accept God's offer for peace.
0: You're listening to the story. Today we're hearing a conversation that Eric Skadabo had with the late Rachanga Padaiti, who was the founder of the Bibles for the World International Ministry. Ruchang is sharing how his Ma people group from north-eastern India had an amazing transformation just over 100 years ago. They went from being known as savage headhunters to becoming loving hearthunters for the Lord. We'll hear more of the story of the Ma people We're continuing with a conversation Eric Scatterbo had with the late Rachunga Padaiti, who was the founder of the Bibles for the World International Ministry. As we heard before the break, Rachanga is sharing the amazing story of the transformation of his people group from northeastern India. He told us how a Welsh missionary named Watkin Roberts came to their village and shared about what Jesus has done for us. Now we're going to find out what happened next.
1: That's the beginning of the gospel. And the next day, Roberts left and said, I'll come back again soon. I'm running out of supplies, and so I'll go back and come back. But before he reached uh, the eye, uh, the British outpost, Colonel Locke had already issued uh, an expulsion order that he violated his orders, so he must leave the area immediately. So mm-hmm. he never came back to send mm-hmm. As a result of that, The young convent like my father, they begin to live their own life with Christ. And all the book that they had was the Gospel of John. Hmm. They memorized the Gospel of John and repeated it over and over again. It was in the Lusai language. They learned the Lucite language. And so how many times they repeat over that uh, book and became a part of their life. And so they begin to live the Christian life from the Gospel of John. Mm -hmm. And it just spread from one village to the other, one village to the other, until the whole Mott tribe of 200,000 people became followers of the Lord Jesus Christ without any further presence of missionaries.
2: Wow, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, and it's a, it's a magnificent demonstration of, uh, of the power of God through His Word.
0: Long time ago Long time ago in the jungle's wild In the jungle's wild. My people lived in sin and darkness
1: Uh, amazingly, they themselves now had translated the the Bible in their own language. And uh, I don't think there's uh, too many tribal groups who had translated the Bible by themselves. Hmm. And uh, from Genesis to Revelation, they translated and have uh, printed over several times.
2: Now, I take it that your father was one of the first persons to put their faith in Jesus Christ? My father was one
1: of the first ones. And he was, uh, you know, uh, he had the, the good fortune of spending a month with Watkin Robert before he left the area. Mm-hmm. And during that time, he learned the Lucite language in which the Gospel of John was written. And then he memorized the entire book of the Gospel of John. And as he walked back the seven-day trip on foot, he repeated over and over and over and over again. And so when he arrived home, they call him the gospel-intoxicated young man, <laughs> and he was. And God really was demonstrating his glory and his power to our people, and we are very grateful. And today we have, uh, even though the government of India did not want to open schools, we began our own school system only in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Amazingly, we now have uh, have produced for India ambassadors, doctors, and lawyers And all kinds of high civil servants. And they are really, really magnificent in what they've been doing for God and for the country. It's a revolution of the love of Jesus Christ that transformed their life. And in every way, educationally, you know, even their social life has been completely transformed. And when I was uh, growing up, no one ever locked their doors.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Nobody ever steal anything. Wow, and then they help each other. If uh, one family got sick and could not do their uh, their farm work, the whole village will show up and begin to work and do whatever was needed uh, to finish the farm. And then the most magnificent thing is that they also learn to give.
2: Well, that's just and, wonderful, but I, now I'd like to turn toward your role. Obviously, your father, as you shared, became a yeah, Christian, yeah. and did he lead you to the Lord as well?
1: Yeah, he led me to the Lord. He was always traveling, and one time when he came back from from the trip, uh, he said, I'm going to stay two days, and one day will be just for you. Mm-hmm. And said, what do you want me to do with you? I said, Daddy, I want to go fishing. And so we went out fishing in this big pond, and we were fishing there, and we drained out a little bit of the water, and then my father t- threw the net and we caught lots and lots of fish and so we cooked on the open fire and broil it and after we had eaten my father looked at me and said we have become very successful as fishermen but there was a greater fisherman than we are his name is Jesus mm. and so he told me how uh, I can uh, have eternal life through him and in our language we don't have the word for conversion so We said I give my name to Jesus Hmm. and that was also a very significant one during the headhunting days nobody will ever give his name to anybody Mm -hmm. because that means he's a man in danger of his life so my father said to me would you like to give your name to Jesus I said yes I would so by the river we knelt down and I received Jesus Christ my Savior and my Lord and I gave him my name and that's the beginning of my spiritual life. And from that time on, I have always felt the presence of God in my life. Whether I walked through the jungle or through the forest with the tigers and the elephants hmm. and the rhinos, I, I was never afraid because God's love was unto the horizon. I know he's always surrounding me with his love. And this is, uh, to me, the, the greatest thing in the world, to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. <laughs>
0: Well, that was part one of a conversation Eric Skadabo had with the late Rachunga Podaiti several years before he passed away in 2015. Rachunga was the founder of the ministry known as Bibles for the World. We'll find out more about Rachunga's personal story and how he became the founder of an international ministry next time. Meanwhile, if you'd like to learn more about Bibles for the World, their website is biblesfortheworld.org. That's biblesfortheworld.org. Org. Finally, before we end today, I just want to say that I always love to hear the stories of transformation that people share with us. But it was a special treat today to hear how an entire people group transformed. And all because of one Welsh missionary named Watkin Roberts, who actually left India thinking his time there was a complete failure. It's a perfect example of how sometimes we think our efforts to serve the Lord are in vain, but nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing ever goes to waste when we're serving Him. God uses it all for His honour and glory. However, we just might not know how until several years later. Well, thanks for joining us for part one of Rachanga Padaiti, sharing his story and the story of his people. Once again, we invite you to join us next time for part two of this conversation. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
1: Watkin Roberts wanted to stay there, but before he arrived and I, Joel, the British ruler, had issued warrant of arrest for violating the British ban on travel to this part of the country, so he must leave northeast India right away. When I met him 40 years later, he felt like he was a complete failure. And when I told him the story of uh, my father, the conversion of our people, he couldn't believe it.
0: Rochanga Padaiti's father was one of the first of his people group from northeastern India to become a Christian. And it was his dream that his son would one day translate the Bible into their tribal language. We'll find out how Rachunga goes on to become the founder of Bibles for the World next time. The Story, the story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life.